think that um, more young people have engaged or have more young people engaged in, in the trust um, over the past sort of during the pandemic period, do you think? Or have you seen an increase in people engaging with the, with the foundation? I think during the pandemic, it's very difficult, I think, because they, they would have their school um, sending them work to do and stuff. And so um, because the foundation only started, um, what's that, talking about end of 2019, so we've only had last year. Yeah. So to be, um, and, and to have, because not everything was on virtual and to have that impact, you know, we, we wanted to, because we started to have like a candle that thing happened at Christmas. And some of that did happen. But for us as a, a young organization and not having, I mean, so we've got no staff, just to, to tell you. It's all what the staff, it's all what the trustees are doing and volunteers who are helping while we're able to make such an impact that we've made, you know, because I think no other organization would have had that amount of impact that we had. And it's all down to the volunteers and people who supported me um, to make it happen. So what do you think then, obviously, so we've got, um, we've got a captive audience today as foster carers who have got um, some amazing young people living with them. What, what do you think, what can people, well, what could our carers take away today to get their young people involved in, you know, helping the, helping the foundation grow, do you think? Because um, we, have, we, we have something we call the three C's. So we have a classroom, we have a community, and we have careers. Mm. And I see classroom as being really important. So I think that's where you get your foundation from, where the learning takes place, what you're understanding, and then we get to the community. You know, you're part of the community. So it's what your reflection about that. What do you like to see within your community? How do you use your voice to make those changes that you want within your community? And so it's, um, as we move forward, what I want to see within the classroom is how we can change the curriculum to reflect the people within the classroom. Because I think at the moment it doesn't reflect <clears throat> That the things that they're being taught do not reflect that either no, so yeah. those are sort of changes that i'd like to see and i've um, engaged with somebody who's a historian to start um planning and helping me to plan of what because i think you can't just say to school we want you to do this you have to actually give them the stuff because nobody's gonna say okay i mean so years ago when i tried to say to the government that they need to do things mandatory within schools to make sure that our history lessons being taught in a way that reflects all the young people within the classroom. But then they sort of pushed it back and said up to the teachers what they decided to do. But and unless you make things mandatory, unless you give them the tools that helps them to do that, then things won't change. And that is how I see the foundation as we move forward to doing. Yeah, because I think um, cause when I've been on the website, there's, it says like resources for schools and stuff like that. And I think that's if we can get to kids, I think kids tend to, on the whole, and so I'm sure some people will shake their heads, will listen to their parents. <laughs> Sometimes. <No. laughs> <laughs> what, what I mean is, is if, sorry, parents will listen to their kids is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And yeah. Is if we can, uh, there we go, flipping it around. Plus, I tell my own kids that they definitely don't listen to me. Um, is if flipping it around and getting parents to listen to their kids. And if we can get to them, and to try and influence their understanding. When, when I was a kid, I mean, I definitely, um, I'm 36 now, and I never got taught anything about any kind of diverse history of anything. Um, it was all the, you know, it was all from the little textbook with a little man in the top corner for the GCSEs. There was no diversity. It was nothing that I was ever educated on as a child. And as an adult, excuse me, I don't want my kids to grow up in a world where that is different. It should, they, should be have, they should have that stuff accessible to them. And I think that, if you know like a foundation like the Stephen Lawrence Foundation if you guys can get in 
to the schools and actually say, this is what you can be covering. Um, that should hopefully help hold those teachers because they've already got so much, you know, so much on their plates, haven't they? Mm. Um, and I think that's the same for our carers as well. And actually, I think what we're trying to do is look at helping you guys as carers have those resources to be able to educate because some of our kids aren't in school. Some of our kids aren't in mainstream school and may struggle to engage in, in those different things. And um, if we can add another layer to that in helping them understand it, then I think that's where we'd want to get to. Um, from there and I think as well um Baroness like you said like the the amount of people that put their name to the foundation as well like um like you sort of said celebrities and stuff like that and throughout the years um do you think that how, how important has that been to all the work that you've done um getting you know people with weight behind their name caught of on side um that's really important because I think I've always said I I can't do this on my own so is the support I can get from others that make make things happen you know, I may have a lot of ideas and say this, I think this is great if we could, but it's bringing those people along with me that helped and, and, and then using their voices in a way in which it helps to promote. And so having, I mean, so over the years, I've, I've not said, I would say I'm quite fortunate because I think because of how Stephen died and all mm -hmm. the rest of it, it was taken on board what is happening. And it took us nearly 20 years to get any justice at all around Stephen. And the fact that we had to fight for everything, nothing was handed to us. We had mm. to fight for everything that we've got. No, nobody said, oh, here you are, we do this and this for you. And I think people is beginning to recognize that the work that had to have gone into all of that and the changes that happened um, happened around Stephen's name, you know, not many people's lost lives in the way in which happened to us has made those drastic changes. We thought about laws being changed. Yeah. You know, and that's what's been important. And people, as I said, you know, I didn't do it on my own. I've had a lot of people support, a lot of people behind me over the years, standing with me to make things happen. And throughout all that time, I, I, I'm not going to lie, over the past couple of days, I've been listening to different podcasts and stuff like that to try and work out, you know, what I'm going to say today and talking to you and stuff. And one of the things that I listened to, there's me just giving away my trade secrets. I don't know what I'm doing, um, is, is your dignity and your, your, your uh, willingness to, to listen and be compassionate for people. Like we said before we were talking, weren't we? And saying, actually, we, when you've got people on board and on side, that's one thing, but it's making the people listen that necessarily don't want to listen. And if I just take, um, if I just take, um, that first part out is I say, how have you managed to remain with dignity throughout all this time? But I know that might sound like a silly question, but what, what is it that, uh, how have you managed to maintain that level of yeah dignity throughout all this time when you've been faced with some just, you know, awful things? Um, I think um, in the early days when I used to hear that word, I used to think, well, I was just being me. I wasn't, mm. I wasn't putting on anything. I was just, and, and I think how within certain community the perception of what a black person is they see you as being aggressive as being constantly shouting constantly making demands and whatever and I wasn't not because I feel myself better than anybody else but I was just being me mm. and also the thing that I've learned as well growing up when you want something shouting and whatever it is doesn't make it happen and if you've had people um, turning against you in the first place and you want to make a difference, you want to make changes, you know, 
you have to behave in this and almost speak their language because you know i'll get um, one of the officers will say to me something like are you not like other black people you know you and i just think yes i am and they have this way of trying to make you feel that make you feel that you're better than others so that you forget your back or forget where you're coming from because they feel that by doing that you're isolated and for me that is not it for us within the community this is who we are you know you may have a certain percentage of people and it doesn't matter what background you are you have a certain percentage of people behave in a certain way but a vast majority of people don't behave that way and so by trying to tell me and say, and I'm just thinking, what does it mean by dignity? I'm just mm. being me, you know, and this is how I behave all the time. So I don't just all of a sudden put on this thing. Other yeah. people can just see, oh, oh, oh look at her. Mm. You know, I don't know any other way of behaving. So this is just me, you know, and it's, yes, I never, I, I never start swearing as much <laughs> until I was Stephen's death because I never needed to. And, you know, you use the words like sugar or something like that to, compensate for that so nobody would ever think and I remember one of the teachers saying to me once at school where my children primary school but Doreen you know I don't hear you swear and I just think I don't need to because that's not part of me but I think since Stephen's day I tell you the swear word it depends on where I am it does come out yeah but you know yeah I think it's interesting isn't it that so people wanted to say you're not like other black people as a way of kind of they meant that as a compliment and in fact it's kind of that human thing of kind of like well I'll make you if you behave more like me that in some way is more valid and so that's more important in some way not recognizing how offensive saying something like that is yeah, or because, you know, know, absolutely is to kind of to say that yeah, to you know the, the, the majority of people are no different to me no you know they're not and and I think by saying by trying to put me on a pedestal and that just make me angry because I just mm. think, you know, you're not going to isolate me or make me feel as if I'm better than everybody else because I know that I'm not. We're all, you know, within the black community and within any community, you know, we all behave in the way that is, is, is the right way to behave. Like, you know, you have a small percentage of people who we behave in um, whatever it is that, you know, I'm, I'm expected to be like. And, and that cuts right across the board. It doesn't just um, come down to just, just um, being a black person. Mm. It cuts right across the board for everybody. Absolutely. Oh, sorry, Lila. I thought you were about to say something else. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, um, thank you, Baroness. And um, so, the next question um, would be: uh, Where are we? So, if you could, if you, I say a magic wand, that again seems like a slightly wishful thinking isn't it but if you could get everybody in this room so at the moment we've got 116 people in here and if you could get those 116 people to do just one thing to progress diversity and inclusion what do you think that what would you what would you what would be the magic thing that you would ask them to do just one thing which i know might sound ridiculous <laughs> well i don't know there's, there's one thing i always just say to my children growing up what you don't like for yourself you don't do to anybody else so if you do not like how, if anybody treats you in a certain way, why would you put that onto somebody? And so just by having that thought in your head constantly, you know, because I wouldn't go out and start saying or being abusive to somebody else outside. Because I, I wouldn't want nobody doing it to me. Why would you want, you know, I wouldn't want that. 
And so, it, you know, that respect that you want people to have for you, then you need to have that for everybody else. You know, what you don't like for yourself, you don't do to anybody else. And I think it, that's quite simple. Yeah, because I think it's quite easy. And I found myself doing it, particularly over the past few weeks is, I, I see the Twitter logo on my phone and I open it up and I'm all of a sudden I'm drawn into and I'm, I'm thinking, God, I'm surrounded. Everybody in the entire country is racist. Everybody. And, and it's polarizing. You're either this or you're that. And you have this opinion or you have that opinion. And I find myself just becoming increasingly drawn into the arguments. And then when I take a step out of it, I'm like, actually, there's no, nobody around me is thinks these things. And I find myself getting drawn into it and I'll start arguing and trying to defend and stuff like that. And, and I know it's not helpful, but I just, and so when I look at it from the other perspective of people who have maybe got polarizing views to me is how they're drawn into it. And all of a sudden they're in this echo chamber and that's not how I would be in the real world. If I was, if I saw somebody shouting and effing and jeffing, I'd actually be more likely to try and engage them through kindness. And like you just mm. said, being myself, I'm not an aggressive person. I'm not, oh, you can't say that. That's not how I am. And actually, so actually what I've just taken from the first 10 minutes of us talking is actually, I need to be more like myself if I'm <laughs> or, or just elite Twitter. That's such an ed statement. <laughs> um, so um, throughout um, your campaigning and everything, Baroness, um, what changes do you think have brought us the furthest forward um, throughout the past sort of few years? What changes do you think you've seen that have brought us as a, as a society furthest forward? Of course, you could say that um, the George Floyd thing, but if you go back to when the, um, the, um, the inquiry and the report that came out, it was such a damning report around the police and it brought in parts of society which nobody ever thought about looking at. You know, what happens in the workplace, what happens in the home. But, you know, and I think what McPherson was trying to do was trying to say, well, look, you know, this institutional racism that exists in the police happens right across the board. What do you intend to change? So he brought out all these recommendations. Mm. And if I was to really think about it, not many of those recommendations have been, uh, have been implemented. Mm. You know, and I remember saying that I don't want it because if you think about when the Scarman report came out, you know, that uh, the Brits and Right and all this stuff that happened, the stuff laws and everything. And it, there's good recommendations in there but nobody followed up on them. Mm. So things just get gradually worse and worse. So when a McPherson happened now, you know, people that, um, I remember when he was reported in parliament, um, they talk about the watershed, because for the first time, you know, um, I think people across the country were able to see the impact of what racism has done, not just to my family, but to how many families across the country and things need to change. So by changing the double jeopardy, by changing the way in police, um, um, how, how they um, approach people, looking at first day, which they didn't do for Stephen. Mm. There's so many things that's come out of that that is so important. That, so those are the, the major things, I think, for me. And I used to keep saying to people, what the changes are happening wasn't for me personally. Yeah. It was for the country. Because I didn't benefit from it personally. But it's what the country would have benefited from it. If only they had looked at the recommendation and put some of them in, you know, put them into action. And that's all they were, because in schools, reporting racism in schools, a lot of schools wouldn't do that. They would not, um, because if um, parents looking to send their children to a special secondary school, and if they see that on the list, they think, oh, I don't want my child going to that school. And so they wouldn't um, publicize what was happening in their schools. 
So all of those things, all of those changes was to make it better and not for you to hide. Because if you, if you, you know, you accept and admit that these things, you do things to change it. You wouldn't just allow it to go on. No. Um, and like you just said, like the actual, some of those changes, like you said, like first aid as well for training and stuff like that. And actually, the, um, yeah, there's just so many things, isn't there? And, and I think that, um, so one of, when you were talking about the foundation, you mentioned the three C's and one of those was community, wasn't it? And actually that's one of our questions is obviously we've got, we've got young people that are placed with our carers. They might've come from the other side of the country to move into a completely new area where they don't know anybody. Um, they might be struggling with their own identity. Who am I? Who's this family I'm now living with? They're trying to do all these nice, kind things for me. And I just want to be back with my parents. And one of the things that we try and do and try and encourage people to do is get their young people involved in their community because if you've got a sense of where you live so whether that's volunteering and stuff like that um that can play a really big part in helping them kind of feel settled and stop them potentially going down other avenues of you know cse and, and all those kind of things and um so what based on the foundation what advice would you give to our carers in terms of engaging young people in their community is there anything that's kind of anything that's worked or any kind of recommendations that have come from the foundation for getting kids engaged in their community uh, as i said um, the foundation is quite new hmm. and one of the things i was doing when we first looked at the stephen lawrence day was going into schools and listening to young people and and ask them about what they want to see within their community because i think without talking to them and understanding from their perspective, you know, we can't just come down and say, this is what I think you should do. Mm. And listening to them, and especially the fear that young people have about going out, about being attacked, about knife comes and all of those sort of things. Those are sort of things that go through to, and so we as adults have to listen to them and try and understand what would you think would the best way to do things. Is that, is that conversation that you need to have? And it's that listening mode that you need to have with, with young people. Especially if, if they're in a, in a, in like we say, in a place that they've never been before, is is for you to go walking with them, take them around the community, you know, and then find a way of, of what's the local, what's happening within the local area. Is there a youth club? Is there something? Is there a Cubs or a scout that you can join? It's those sort of things that you need to find out for them. Is it something that you'd like to do? And, you know, take them for walks in their community. And sometimes it's not as easy as, as doing that because if you've got more than one child or different age group, how do you blend that in if a teenager, you know, that's, a, you know, that's not always an easy thing, but it's how do they engage with other young people? And, um, and I think sometimes schools that used to have after school clubs and do activities, a lot of that thing doesn't happen, especially with this pandemic, mm -hmm. pandemic now, that doesn't happen for them. So they're quite isolated. And so you find that kids that spend time on their games, their video games, and, and, and you know, I have a nephew, that's all he does. He doesn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to break those cycles because there's another world outside mm -hmm. them and to engage with. So it's how do you mix? And, and to me, as, as um, foster carers, you, is, is there a lack of, that you join together so you can um, talk to each other um, and have ideas from each other and for the young people within your care having those interactions and I think sometimes you know by having those sort of, um, discussion meeting other people's online because everything's online now and and just you know supporting each other and for those kids to see there's other kids out there like me 
that I can engage with because we're in almost in the same boat. Um, I think that's something that I've literally just written the word role models down. And then you just said it is actually people that are like me. Who can I look to that 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 has, has, has gone through life and has done something that I can say I, there is hope for me and I can do something and I want to be more like, you know, sort of that person it doesn't mean you have to be a carbon copy of them, does it? No, um, no. Um, and I think that actually when sharing the message of the foundation and seeing those celebrities and and and, and also the the mix of everyday people that are putting their name towards stuff I think it's about um for me is trying to find people who aren't all sort of stratospheric sort of famous because sometimes you think I can't get to that it's those real people and that real connection mm. you know it's, is it is it the is it the woman that runs the youth club around the corner that has given you that listening ear and has given you the time to help and I think um yeah those things are the things that which we are doing some work at the moment with a guy called Ian who's a care leaver who um when he left the care system, um, got into drugs and was a, a arrested constantly. And he was talking about that turning moment for him. And he was said he was sat in a police station and the solicitor just turned and looked at him and just said, you don't need to carry on this path anymore. And he said, and I heard it a hundred times before, but it was the fact that I was just in that moment there. And then that I was like, okay, I actually like, I don't want to go back to prison. And, and she was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, she was there for him. Um, so one of the things as well was obviously we've talked about like younger people, but the you did something called the why apprenticeships didn't you um looking at how apprenticeships can help young people for, for their future and stuff and do you think that there should be more i mean at the moment we're looking at having some young people come and work for us using the government's kickstart scheme to kind of get them from universal credit into work um and to come and work with us and to learn some skills along the way but what role do you think apprenticeships have got in helping our young people find a place from transitioning from um childhood into adult life um, it, um, definitely, it definitely has a, um, has a place for that. Um, as one of the things, um, when we were looking around for the Stephen Lawrence Day um, and speaking to the government, but they have an apprentice scheme going and their thing is, which I, I find it quite difficult to believe, they're saying that um, they find it difficult to get any young kids from the black community to join up to an apprenticeship. Mm. I think if you sell it to them in the right way, and besides there's nothing else out there for them, then I'm sure they want to because um, we have somebody who's supporting us and he's been doing apprenticeship for years. And so you, you go to a company and say, look, you know, we've got X amount of young people here and the government has got money to feed into this. Wouldn't you want to help? And of course they do. Apprenticeship, you know, I think years, if you go back 20, 30 years ago, apprenticeship is where young people, once they've left school, they're not going to university. The majority of them take on apprentices they start off there and they continue working, learning their trade, and as they move up, move up into the company. When the government started doing apprenticeships, it was after six months, you were lucky to get a year out of them. And now they realize that they need to give more to young people to in order to progress forward. And so I think when, when now that's happening, we need to make sure we hold them to that and, and encourage as many young people into that because not many people, young people are gonna go off to university. Mm. And even kids from university need the apprenticeship as well. There's not just the kids leaving school at 16. Even graduates need the apprenticeship because you know, being educated great, but you've got no skills. Yeah, people want experience. How, how are you gonna develop all of that? Because all companies want you to come with all the experience. You, you're not gonna have that. And that is where the apprenticeship comes into it. And I think you raise an interesting point in what you talked about then and linking back to what you were talking about, about community, which is kind of actually 
when you were talking about community and the classroom stuff, it's kind of actually in the classroom, if we're not, um, if we're not, if our, the, the literature we teach in English literature, if the histories we teach don't kind of include and represent the kind of the children in the classroom, then how, you know, we're missing a trick there in terms of being inclusive, but then also, so if young people see that an apprenticeship is not for children who look like me, who are like me, then actually, am I then less likely to go and do it? Is it like, well, all the bunch of white kids going like, I don't want to be the only black kid going and being part of that. So, because I also thought when we were talking about the community stuff about going out to get involved in scouts and things like that, often our children might move from a community, uh, one community to move to a community where it might be quite white as an area. And so being maybe the only black kid or kind of child from another ethnic background. And so for me, it's then what extra do we need to do for that child to help them feel inclus included when they might not see or meet people who look like them or feel like them in some way? Because it's about, we want opportunities to be there, but almost with those children, we also need to go the extra mile mm. to do that work, to make them know that the kind of these spaces are available for you to use the same as they're available for anyone else to use, but you might not necessarily know that or feel that or recognize that in the same way. Hi. <laughs> I've got a visitor, I have one of my colleagues coming into, um, <laughs> into the room now. Uh -huh. Hi. <laughs> I start, Kristen, I'm just doing something with the um, foster carers. Okay. So we, 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 we're coming to school again. It's 11.50 when we finish. Okay, I'm, I'm, I've come in to go on an APGG meeting, but I'm going to do it with my earphones in, so I'll just sit here. Okay, quietly and do that, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> She's got in there before my colour did. Um, so um, we've got um, a question from Joe. Joe said um, that do where, where has it gone? I've literally just seen it. So she said um, out of the, all the recommendations that were made um, in the McPherson, McPherson report, um, how many have been completely actioned? Do you know? No, I, um, I couldn't answer that. No, no. Um, I did try to find out a, a while ago, mm. especially a couple of years ago when, when it was the 20th anniversary of the McPherson mm. report. Um, we tried to find out, we couldn't really say with confidence how many of them has been implemented. Mm. Okay, let me just go through them. Um, the, one, of the, one of the sort of final questions that we've got as well is, it, it was actually, I think it was from Rupert who works here at Blue Sky, we have covered it slightly, um, but his question was, just to read it, um, Parrot, was how tough was it to get your voice heard in the early days? Now, I think how I want to develop that question until now is actually, do you feel like now people are more willing to listen to the messages that are being um, shown by people? Uh, sorry, ugh, the messages that are being given by people sort of like yourself. Um, so do you think you mean, so if, if, you know, Stephen were to be murdered now, do you think that kind of people would be more willing and ready to listen than they were 20 years ago? Or do you think you'd have the same fight to be heard and to kind of action change on behalf of him? Um, things have changed. And whether or not um, it will be the same result, you know, it, that's debatable. I think after, um, in 99, when the report came out. Um, I think a lot of kids, especially a lot of black kids, felt that the police society was not protecting them. Yeah. This could happen to somebody like Stephen who had no background in criminality, had not, not, nothing involved, and that could happen to him. And how he was treated 
then, you know, hence I, I believe how the knife carrying and all of this stuff started. And rather than the police looking at what was happening at that time, um, I think they ignored that and put it down, oh, it's just a black and black crime. We, you know, we don't have to do anything, we just park it over here. And so it's got to, uh, it's got to the volume now that it can't be ignored anymore. So when the report happens now, it doesn't talk about black and black crime. It talks about a murder, which should have been happening in the first place. If you talk about it that way, you investigate it that way, then that way you, um, the kids would see that this is what the police were doing to protect us, but they weren't doing anything. So in that respect, from 1990 now, you saw the change of how things are reported and how the police, their actions, whether or not we're getting the same result and getting a result where mm. um, the perpetrator has been caught, we don't know too much of that. I don't think I don't think they are being caught. I think as well, like you said, like the language we talk a lot about the language that we use as those that work with young people, um, and and how impactful the language is. So actually, seeing young people as victims of sexual exploitation rather than than perpetrators and not seeing young people that have maybe displayed um, sexually appropriate behavior as, you know what I mean? It's actually the language that we use is so important because if you say to a child, you're naughty or you're this and you're that, it's most like, like, okay, yeah, well, I'll just, I might as well play up to that then, or I'll live that stereotype that you perceive of me. Um, and I think, yeah, that has such a, it's so important, isn't it? And, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes with my own kids as well, I, I go to say something, I'm like, oh, hang on. Just hold that in a second, Ed, and just consider how that's going to be heard. Um, we've had a question um, from Vigi, um, who works here at Blue Sky, and um, she's asked, uh, was it gone? She's, she's actually, she's asked, how was, what was it like meeting Nelson Mandela? And obviously the time was um, very di sort of different. Um, what was that like for, for you, um, Baroness? Um, that, that, in fact, that, that was quite amazing. I mean, it's, I think at the time, because you're still raw from what happened, there's only two even died so yeah not years or so later then you, you're able to reflect and and know what sort of questions you're going to ask and all the rest of it because you're not in that space you're really not in that space yeah so um meeting him i think what i found is that everybody talked about this man as being um you know like a statuette and the fact how he presents himself and you know he's the father of anti-racism, the apartheid and all the things that was happening at the time over in, um, in South Africa. And he was not like that. He was a gentleman. He was somebody who um, you could see the empathy and stuff that he had. He didn't have to say anything. I think there's so many people in the room and everybody was talking. And I think what, what the thing that um, for me that's um, really affected me is the fact that he said his life is cheap in South Africa and I did not expect it here in this country. You know, because, you know, for years they've lived and see what happened to all the black people in South Africa. You know, um, Britain portrays itself as this upholder of, um, of society and that they make sure they're equal and equality happens. And the reality is not true. So um, having that being said, and it was because of meeting him and what he said, that's when they made the first arrest. Otherwise, they weren't taking any notice. Mm. 
Um, that's not really very much I can say following that that's going to do it any justice, I don't think. Um, so that might be, um, Baroness, a really good time to kind of note to kind of like on that point. Um, Leela, is there anything else that you wanted to, to ask or say? Or No. Um, sorry, sketch. Um, sorry. Oh, we're, we're, gonna, we're in competition now. <laughs> That's okay. We've just had a couple of late doors uh, questions mm. come in from Kara. So just uh, two quick ones. One I think would be more obvious to end on. So just before the last question, as a, as a black woman, this is from Kara, I still see a lot of paper policy when you get to the top of companies. There are very few, if any, black staff there. Even as a carer, I'm the only black person usually at meetings. So I think maybe Donna was just kind of giving the feedback about that and kind of, I wonder how your experience has been of that in terms of being so involved in government. Are you often the only black woman kind of yes. in those spaces? Definitely, definitely. I think practically everywhere I go, I find I'm, I'm the only black person there. And it's just, um, the question is, where's everybody? You know, there's mm -hmm. loads of people with um, even more qualifications than I am and have more, um, you know, I find whenever I'm in most places I go, I am the only black person there. And it doesn't wear well because then I don't think my voice carries as much as it should. Because if there's more of you and you feel more confident as well within the space that you're in. It can be more challenging, but um, yeah, it's it's a difficult. Um, I find it quite difficult being the only person. Well, because then I thought I think there's a weight, isn't there, for you if you are the only person there to be somehow the spokesperson for all black people in that space. And of course, you are you with your own experiences, but then there's an weight and expectation from you in that to somehow be representative of everyone in that sort of way. I think it also ties back into that stuff around actually how you know how available or, or um, clear is it a kind of a path to those careers, those spaces as a kind of career option, but also how welcoming are those spaces, how inclusive are those spaces, how encouraging are those spaces to have more diversity uh, within them and kind of for people to be within that and feel safe and feel supported and feel valued kind of in those ways as well. Um, so the last question then for us, um, what are you working on now moving forward? Am I working on now moving forward? Um, it's still around the foundation um, outside. Um, I've taken on the role within the Labour Party as being the racial advisor for them because I feel that they need it. You know, if we're going to change society and change um, the look of politics, we need to have more voices and understand. And I know within, uh, as an MP, you have quite a lot of. Um, um, representative of the black community within um, that, within the House of Lords, no, you don't. Mm. No, you don't have that, you know. Um, and so in many cases, when I go to things, I am the only person in there, but it's trying to make sure that the party listens to other um, the black voices. <laughs> you need our votes when the time comes, because yeah. without our votes, you're, not, you're never gonna win. You need our votes as well, mm. uh, is to make sure that they begin to listen and have policies in place that reflects the country that they want to that, that they want to represent. You know, they need to have that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate um, all the time you've given us this morning, um, and and sharing your experiences, and your thoughts, and kind of feelings with us. We're really grateful. Thank you to you for that.
Um, and for everybody else that's in the room, um, we'll be sharing all the information um, about the foundation um, and um, looking at the resources and how we can use that with you guys and your young people that you've mm -hmm. got a placement and if anything that we can do going forward um, to support their, you know, them helping shape the world of tomorrow, um, which is what we're all here for. Um, again, Baroness, from all of us, um, thank you so thank much. You. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And um, yeah. We're going to um, now go off into some smaller breakout rooms and um, try and unpick what we can do um, as, as individuals. So, yeah, thank you ever so much. I'm sure I've joined thank in as everybody in saying, yeah. Okay, all right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.